As the presenter of the best watched football show in the UK, Gary Lineker is one of the most recognisable faces on British television. A former England international who won the Golden Boot at the 1986 World Cup, Lineker is arguably the most successful former player to pivot into a media career. Since 1999, with a couple of controversial pauses, he has hosted Match of the Day, the BBC's flagship Premier League weekly highlight show to millions of viewers, as well as fronting the public service broadcaster's international football coverage for major tournaments, and for a short period, golf too. In recent years, he has also found success as an owner of media businesses, starting a production company, Goalhanger Films, and later its sister audio company, Goalhanger Podcasts. For those of you who are regular listeners to The Rest is Politics or The Rest is History, these are both brain children of Goalhanger, and Lineker has plans for more. Just before the start of the new Premier League season, I was given the chance to sit down with Gary and hear about his newfound love for the business of podcasting, as well as what he has learned from a career in media, which now dates back well beyond 25 years. I'm Tom Bassam, this is the Sports Pro Podcast, and here is Gary Lineker. Gary Lineker, welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Thank you, good to be here. Absolute pleasure. And if we could start with podcasts, actually. Um, mm-hmm. The last few years have been really, really successful for, for Goalhagger and yeah, rest is politics, rest is history, hundreds of thousands of downloads, millions monthly. Like, I want to just get a sense of like how how involved are you with that business? Like sometimes you get investors and people that work with production companies that are quite hands off. Are you is that you or are you uh, very much involved? No, I'm no, no, I'm f- very much involved. I don't day to day in the office, but um, you know, I've kind of got two partners in the podcast business, and we we run it together. They're kind of hands on day to day. Um, I speak to them pretty much every day. Um, we have lots of meetings, discuss that strategies and of course um and decide which pods we want to do and which ones we don't do um so no i'm very much um very much involved yeah it's it's become um um fascinating um and different thing to do and i'm really enjoying it actually it's good it's good fun yeah i mean i host a podcast i think it's great fun as well but like how did you like was that something you envisioned a few years ago when you got into it it all started about, I don't know, it must have been about seven years ago now. We did, um, we did a podcast, um, just kind of almost experimental, um, with me and Danny Baker called Behind Closed Doors, which we, we did quite a few seasons of, and we really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun, and it did quite well, and we thought it was pretty popular, so we thought there might be something in this um, podcast genre. And f- from there on, we you know we we kind of digressed. We 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 got the we have ways of wake, of making you talk, uh, which is a World War Two podcast with um, James Holland and, and Al Murray, and and that was popular as well. And then we went on, and we then then the rest of history was born um, with James's brother Tom and Dominic Sambrook, which after a kind of slowish start, but suddenly became this. This monster that it now is, um, and from that, and then we wanted to go into politics a little bit because you know we're all interested in politics, and we wanted to do something. You know, we everything is so kind of diverse and tribal and slightly nasty at the moment. That we, we wanted to do a political pod with two people from different sides, um, kind of, but doing it agreeably, even if they disagree. So, 
um, that was, and, and and that's become huge. The rest is is politics, and 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 now we're moving on to, which seems a bit mad that we don't have a football pod. At I was going to say it seems a bit odd that like you being, I mean, goal handling yeah. is your background, obviously, but you've mm. you, you've waited until pretty much now to do a sports yeah. podcast. Well, I did a podcast, obviously, I mentioned with Danny Baker before, but then I kind of took a step back while we organised these other ones, and now, um, but we've been talking about doing a football one for a while, and and we we I worked together with Micah and. Alan uh, Shearer um, on a podcast anyway, which we did do. We've done for a while, bit match of the day's top 10 one, but that was only for BBC and only on BBC Sounds. So, you know, and we thought because we seem to have a really good chemistry and a lot of fun, and it's really enjoyable that it, it might be successful um, to do a regular football one. And, and I think there's a, there's a real kind of it's weird there's no massive football podcast i think um pete crouched as well but that's not it's more kind of yeah football weekly Fo and, and football weekly do, no there's lots to do well but there's there's not a monster there's not a big one you know it's nothing that um that challenges politics or history which seems a bit odd in a country that's obsessed with football so we've looked at it and we think we it, it needs something with footballers involved because you don't want to just talk about analysis and this and that and the other which is fine and lots of people do that quite well but it's never going to be generating that much interest in, in in a bigger market so we thought if we can get the three of us and we do two or three episodes every week um updating things and, and doing emergency podcasts when big stories happen big transfers etc that it might do it might do well and we we, we hope it will and i mean is the business with that going to be kind of similar to what you do with the, the rest is uh, the rest of politics yep. and the rest is history where you bring in that um like over the top kind of subscriber newsletter live show kind of thing as well um i i think hopefully if it proves to be popular that that, that will go down go down that route um but, but first we need to we get, need to get it up and running we need a fast start we want hopefully people enjoy it and obviously the great thing about podcasts is they don't cost anybody anything um to listen and we know from from the match of the day top 10 ones that we've done that you know that's this is by far the biggest podcast on on bbc sounds um so you know we're hoping that we can um kind of bring in more people um to hear it and um to talk football because we love football and we're all passionate about it we watch endless amounts of football um but we've also been in dressing rooms and we've been involved and we've got reminiscences and stories that that we'd like to get out there as well how uh like how strategic have you been when it comes to those other podcasts because i mean like they all up there like they're all remarkably successful i think they regularly rank in the top five top ten which is quite rare for one company to have that level of success in a field like yeah. how, how like why do you think that has happened um i think good choices with who we've we've got a bit of luck that you that you need we've gotten the right place at the right time um but I think the most important thing is the chemistry between the hosts, um, and, and we've managed to get that right, not just with the rest of his politics, the rest of his history, but Empire is also generally in the top 10, and it's terrific. Um, and then we've got, you know, there are others that, that do really well. We Have Ways is, is consistently successful. Um, the spin-offs like Leading um, from the Alistair and Rory do as well. Um, we've got one or two pods we've brought in that we think are great, like the Troll, um, um, which is, I think, a lot of fun. It's very political. Um, so, yeah, we, I think we know what works. Um, and um, but you, you know, you never really know how the chemistry is going to be with the, with your host until 
till till you actually do the podcast. Obviously, we we generally do quite a few pilots first um, with our guests. Some some need more than others, but just to get the style and how it's going to work between. Mm. And I mean, previously you did go hanger films. Is that something that's going to continue as well, or is in the background? You've obviously had the very successful Wayne Rooney show and the yeah. Hand of God. Is, yeah. is that still a focus with God? Oh yes, yeah. That's you know that's. Just, it's we've all we've kind of separated the two things now because we've we've grown so quick in the podcast world. We're um, employing quite a few people now, and it's um, it's quite exci- it's very exciting. It's something pretty new to me in terms of business starting things. But we had the production production company first um, with, with Tony Pastor and myself, um, and and that's you know that does well. It's a really nice it's a nice business. But you know it's different with 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 podcasts. Um, you know, TV shows, you need to have ideas, then you need to pitch them to all the, the, you know, the various broadcasters that they might then commission it. And then you go away and then you make a film and it takes forever. Um, and eventually you get an hour on television somewhere, possibly. Um, and we love it. And it's something that we'll, we'll always do. It's our baby. Um, but, but the podcast world, you have an idea. You can do it tomorrow if you want. Um, and, and it's out there and people can enjoy it and listen to it. So um, there are fewer frustrations i think in in the podcast world and um and it's an interesting genre and it's growing really rapidly and mm. hopefully it will continue to do so it seems like something that you i i mean you get quite animated when you're talking about mm-hmm. it and alistair campbell calls you the boss on his podcast are you <laughs> are you um i like i mean are you sitting there and thinking like what can we do next how do we how do we develop this further like mm-hmm. yeah are you getting in like you said you're involved, yeah. involved in meetings mm-hmm. but like how heavily yeah. are you in in running that business no, I, I think it's. I think I'm honestly and fair to say that I'm. I'm very hands-on. Um, I have my ideas, and we discuss with with Tony and Jack, our two partners, on a regular basis. And and you know we meet up quite frequently. If we have, we always discuss the new ideas, and then we're often going out trying to get people to to do the podcasts. Or um, and so yeah, yeah, very much so. And I I'm I'm really enjoyed it. Something completely different. You know, I've done a lot of things and. Um, in the football and broadcasting world, but in, in business side of things, that's that's been a kind of new addition. I'm, you know, I'm not a businessman in terms of running the company, but I, I, I think I'm a, cre- you know, quite creative in terms of. I know how television works. I know how broadcasting works and radio, and obviously, and, and now, the podcast side of things has, has been something different. But, um, but putting teams together and, and getting something that people genuinely enjoy and i get stopped in the street now as much you know people ask me as as much now about our podcast as they do about what what flavor crisp i like (laughs) (laughs) the other constant throughout gary's career has been his relationship with walkers a company which was founded and continues to be based in his hometown of leicester he started appearing in adverts for the brand in 1986 and continues to do so to this day during that time, not only has the relationship become one of the longest-running endorsement deals anywhere, but the world of marketing and personal branding has changed dramatically. Gary remains a bankable star. The last three-year contract he signed with Walkers was said to be worth £1.2 million. As such a high-profile figure, I wanted to know how much thought he put into his image. Uh, well, for flavours of Chris, actually, is incidentally something I'd quite like to talk about. And... I mean, I guess that there's a kind of idea of what the the brand of Gary Lineker is, but do you personally think about your own brand in that way and as how that has evolved maybe in relationship with another brand? I've never had a, a planned brand of, of me as such. <laughs> I've just kind of um, 
flagged it and winged it along the way. Um, but no, I, I'm, primarily I was a footballer um, and, and then I went into broadcasting about football. So, you know, for me, football's my life. Um, and, you know, you've got other things that come off the back of it, commercial deals or, you know, now the podcast world. Um, so deals with different people that I've always tried to have long-term deals and kind of build up a relationship with the people that I work with. And I think that's that seems to have worked um, pretty well. But I've never, never kind of sat down and gone, right, we need to be a brand. I mean, because that would be a bit bit wanky really (laughs) (laughs) I mean people do do that and I do agree with you but I'm not sure I can quite use the same language uh, (laughs) at least for this podcast Um, but I mean you you have a very long association with a brand um, but the joy of podcasts is you can use what you can do what you want that is very true you can do what you want within reason obviously (laughs) Obviously you have that very very long relationship with the brand and they've kind of there's there's an image of you that comes through those Mm. those campaigns of this like Cheeky Javi, he'll make you a packet of crisps. Is that something that you've like, you've ever p- had to push back on ideas with them from, or worked with Walkers on? No, not really, because I quite we quite liked um, the premise really uh, uh, right from the start. The fact, you know, obviously it's a play on the fact that you know I used to be given this thing, which was a little bit kind of nauseating that you know he's, he's Mr. Nice Guy and all that. So we played on it and tried to twist it, and I thought it was a really good and, and fun idea. You don't get to a point where still, I think, I mean, you, you told me before we started recording, 1986 was your first walk. I did a one-off in 1986 around the World Cup and and it was um, just me in a chair in an English shirt just turning and going. Don't you insist on Walker's crisps? And that's and I, I still remember it to this day. But then the actual campaign that started with a Welcome Home advert after I came back from Japan, that was January 1995, and um, I'm still, you know, I still have an association walks. I still do quite a few things for them, and the, the odd advert here and there. Not quite as frequent as, as as they used to be, because advertising in that form has changed. It's become much more digital rather than than perhaps mainstream television. But although they, you know, we still do those as well. But um, yeah, it's been a, a amazing um, thing, and obviously they're from Leicester as well, which which is which is brilliant. Um, you know, and I've got to deal with Next as well, which another Leicester brand, which is, you know, my hometown and um, obviously um, means a lot. It's almost a cliche to say that sports media is in a different world to the one that Gary first entered in 1995, when he began as a pundit on the BBC's football PB coverage and as a radio broadcaster on Five Live. But as a steady constant in a period which has seen so much change, he has a unique perspective on the landscape. I'd kind of like to go into the, the media section of your career. I mean, I think obviously, like most people my age and uh, younger, that's what we'll, we'll know you for. I mean, my dad talks about you as a, a wonderful goal scorer and obviously winning the Golden Boot, but for me, you've always been the, the man that presents the match of the day. I was going to say the crisp bloke from. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do love salt and vinegar, but it's not quite that. I said, yeah, well, yeah, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, so for me, it's uh, yeah, you, you've been the host of Match of the Day for a long time. But then in that time, media is, and sports media has changed a lot. Yeah. And um, I guess what's what's kind of one thing for you that, like, getting into it now, you'd like you, you'd have thought that this is so wildly different from where we are today. Yeah. 
right from the start. Well, I think what what's really the biggest perhaps surprise, not necessarily things that change because the television involves and we do, and it's it's so much better now than it was when I first started it, and you know the quality of the pictures. The quality of the production, the quality of the pundit, everything, because it gets more competitive, there's more channels, there's streaming, that's also changed things. But I think the one remarkable thing, really, is that Match of the Day is still probably, well, it is weekly, the most watched football programme in the country. And it's highlights, you know, and that's kind of bucks the trend of any other highlights in any other sport, the fact that it does so well. Um... And we still get enormous numbers of people watching it every every either Saturday night, Sunday morning, or now very much on iPlayer, which is a big change. You can kind of watch it when you want. And that's worked. I mean, Match of the Day is easily the most watched show on iPlayer pretty much every week. Mm. Um, so I think that's, that's for me, is, is that the, we, it has changed so much, yet Match of the Day has managed to stay relevant okay. and important. Um, and... And, and it, it's it's kind of slightly mystifying, but at the same time, I think the reason is probably still, I don't know, there's a lot of people in this country, close to 50% of the people in this country that haven't got Sky and BT and all the, you know, and, and nowadays Amazon and whoever else will, will do football. So, you know, they rely on that for their little weekly fix of, of Premier League football. Um, and I think that's probably why it works, but there are also, I know, like, Lots and lots of people who watch, you know, the brilliantly covered football on 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 Sky and BT, and um, but still want to watch Match of the Day. So um, yeah, that, and thankfully, that, thankfully that's the case. <laughs> I mean, I, your point about iPlayer is interesting because obviously it's exactly the same to go and watch it on YouTube. But what you don't get is yourself, Alan Shearer, Ian Wright, whichever pundits you've got on that week. That's kind of I think what what makes that show. And I'd be interested, actually, if you could kind of. Talk me through like how does work like how does match of the day work like what like how does the, how does your Saturday look? Well, our Saturday I'll talk you through our Saturday. And actually, there's a, there's a log building up all week, and you know, obviously, commentators are delegated. They all have to go to the games, and so. But on our Saturday, we get there early for the first game. We've got a, we're in a, a kind of room, not actually half the size of this, but with a big wall of TV screens where we've got all the matches being played. So the two pundits will be in, um, and the first game of the day we watched by them both, so they can work out their analysis and do bits and bobs. Um, and then let's take an eight-game Saturday, which is kind of the average. Then at three o'clock there'll be six, maybe six games. Um, in which case, obviously, you can't have a pundit doing each match. So well, they'll be delegated a match each, or they'll decide which game they want between them. Um, so that's two more matches. Um, the editor, the producer, myself, will be looking at pretty much everywhere to try and see if there's any other stories, unbelievable goals, terrible VAR moments, or good VAR moments, um, stuff like that. Um, so so that's three games they've got properly covered by the pundits. And then the late game, we'll all watch, obviously. So that's covered as well. So at the eight games, they'll have four games that have been watched 90 minutes by one of the guys thingy. Um, and then from the other games, we'll, um, we'll, we'll get in touch with the people who are doing the edits and what's interesting in the games. We'll talk to us about what we've done. So then we've got a, like a, a load of time where the guys go and plan their analysis, work out what they're going to say. They go with the guys that edit it for them. Um, meanwhile, the match edits are going on. 
um, which is, you know, it's not an easy business, knocking a 90-minute game down um, to something between, even if it's a rubbish game, it will get six minutes and then it will up to maybe 12, four to 12, I think it's the maximum you're allowed. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a skill in itself. So the guys do that. Uh, meantime, um, come after the last game, we'll decide the running order. Although, obviously, before the last game, we've got a rough idea of the other games in what order they're going to go, which we judge by a variety of different reasons. One, obviously, the first thing being, is it the game of the day, match of the day? Um, it's, you know, but you've also got, got to take into account the significance, the team's playing, is it the top of the table? You know, watch any sporting event, and obviously, the main focus will always be on the leaders. Um, but then, if there's an unbelievable game from lower down, it will, you know, it'll catapult itself up to the top. So we kind of sit down, decide that between, you know, it's, it's ultimately the editor's decision, but I, I'm also involved in it. If people like the running order, it's my idea. <laughs> uh, if they don't, it's him. Um, so, and then come about, you know, we'll, have, we'll go through the script. I'll be writing it with, with along with the um, the editor, um, and and then come about. It's nine o'clock. I'll go and get changed. Um, the guys will go and get changed and they'll be finalising their analysis. Um, I get into the studio about 9.30. I rehearse, which basically means just scrolling through the links into each match, planning the opening, um, the closing. And and it's, it's still to this day, it seems to surprise people that but match of the day is live. It's live, live. It always is, um, always will be, um, for two reasons. One, it gives them more time to edit the games properly. The longer they get, the better they edit. Um, but most importantly, it's um, it's it's down to it's down to the fact that if there's a big story that breaks at nine o'clock in the evening, and we've already recorded the program, we'll look foolish. Like a manager gets the sack or something, and he's on the news just before match of the day. We don't mention it. We'd look silly. So it's always live. So we rehearse it. The boys come in about actually about 10 15 minutes before the show and then and then during the game's highlights that are going on we discuss and plan how they're going to do their analysis of that game and that's and that's how it works and then we finish normally around midnight and go home <laughs> is that is that detailed enough that's, that's very detailed <laughs> over, the, over the course of you doing it so i mean i think you took over full time in 99 is that right 99 des left yeah, yeah. and i was how, the only person in the country that was glad he went <laughs> he was probably quite happy got talked to well he, he was that was two of us yeah two of us. Uh, and how, like, over over that period how has like your role and like how much of a like your role in it changed so you said you have a say over some of the running order and all of that yeah. kind of stuff at first were you very much in the kind of you do it like i'll do what you tell me and then over time have you taken more of a kind of producer role on it i, I don't take a producer role but i think my, my Thankfully, I have a really good working relationship with editors and producers and, you know, between us, we sensibly work things out. It's very, very rare that you would disagree. And, you know, people go on about the running order and stuff, and but they only really ever complain about where their team is wrong um, and saying, no, we should be higher. If it was, you know, if they started, everyone suddenly said, no, some, they were complaining about where another team was on, we'd know we probably got it wrong. But, you know, there's always going to be a slight difference of opinion, but Ultimately, we're going to show the highlights of all the games anyway. So it doesn't really, it's, it's kind of always bemused me a little bit as to, to why I think people think that's important. But have my role's changed? Not, not really. Not really. It's probably, I've probably over the years gained more knowledge and more confidence and, um, 
Um, so, but he hasn't really changed. I mean, I, you know, I think I'm, you know, obviously way more comfortable now mm. doing the show than I was when I first did it because, you know, it's, it's tough live television. It, it's, it's not as easy. <laughs> People think it might be easy presenting. Um, but when you're on live and, and things are happening and you've got, you've, you know, we have to be incredibly accurate time-wise. You know, we can't overrun a little bit because we have to be off air on, on, a, on a second. And also, so, you know, you, so you've got to be tight with the analysis. Sometimes it's frustrating. I want to go and have a big discussion about something. But you can't because you can't suddenly not show the last game. Yeah. Now, people complain about the running order, but if you didn't show West Ham playing Aston Villa at the end of the match of the day or whoever it may be, then that would be an issue. <laughs> Personally, I'm a big advocate of the BBC and public service broadcasting in general. Of course, the BBC has its faults, but its fundamental purpose is a place that can shine a light on all aspects of British culture, and within that, sports, remains vital, especially within the context of the ever-increasing privatisation of our most popular property, the Premier League. Gary and the BBC have had their issues, most recently, of course, over his pro-refugee posts on social media. We saw him suspended from Match of the Day for a week, while those on both sides of the culture wars made their arguments. But despite that, he remains an advocate of Auntie B and what it represents for the British public. It's, I mean, it's quite clear that like, Match of the Day still plays a massive part in not just like the, the, the football landscape, but the sports landscape and for the BBC as well. But it, for the BBC... It, its role as in sport has changed quite a lot. I feel like I mean it's gone from I mean you used to present the golf. It's, that's now that's now on Sky yeah. exclusively. And yeah. um, do you feel like I mean do you, how do you see the BBC's role as a sports broadcaster in two, in twenty twenty three? In twenty twenty three, I think it'll be similar to it's been the last few years. But obviously, there's 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 a gear change. You know, there's huge amounts of money involved, um, and it's 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 difficult for the BBC to compete on that front. Um, in terms of quality, I think we certainly compete, uh, that's for sure. Um, you know, a lot of, some of the events are, are listed and protected, you know, so, you know, FA Cup finals and World Cups and um, European Championships and, and and obviously other sporting events, um, although, you know, gradually that's, that's changing, but obviously the landscape is changing. You can see that. It's, I mean, in 10 years time, sport, will it, how much will actually be on terrestrial television? I don't know. Um, streamers are coming in now. You've got, you know, people like Apple are taking interest in support. Amazon. I mean, even Sky and stuff would be finding it very difficult to compete with those monsters. So um, it is interesting. Um, and, you know, you know, hopefully Match of the Day will, will, will continue. I think, I, think, I think the Premier League have been very clever with Match of the Day because I think they understand that you do need some... Um, some of their football on on terrestrial television, because otherwise you, you'd lose a lot of your audience, and I think that's really important. I think they've been very clever on that and made it just about affordable mm. for, the, for the BBC. So, but who knows what what will happen in the future? I wish I did. <laughs> There's an interesting um, kind of wrinkle to that in that the, obviously the BBC's picked up the Champions League highlights from 2024. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how much you're going to be involved in that, but. Mm. Um, that's obviously a really successful commercial property in the Champions League. It's been used to be on ITV. Now it's yep. pretty much exclusively on pay TV, mm. and now it's coming back in a small way onto yeah terrestrial broadcast. Like, do you think that like that's a sort of reflection of 
how important the BBC is or free-to-air is in, in the media market? I, I think so, and I hope so, because, you know, there's a lot of people who can't afford the streaming services, particularly at the moment, obviously, with the cost of living crisis and going through tough times, a lot of people. So I think it's important for sport to try and help themselves because it's not just about money. It's also about promoting your your brand, your sport. Um, and I think that's where football's been clever. And it's why it's, you know, whereas other sports have kind of sold everything down the that, down the guy the sky or BT or which you know they do a great job of showing it but lots of people can't afford it so I think it sport needs to have kind of a balance and a, a, and a fairness to it and I think that's where football's been cleverer than most other sport I mean we're seeing that a little bit with cricket aren't we with the 100 we've got that on the BBC yeah, as well and that's good and cricket have got back because cricket I think and I think that's one of the reasons that cricket's revived I think I think Mainly it's because of the short form and the 2020 and it's an exciting thing and you're getting full stadiums. Um, but um, I think it's I think it's good for cricket to, to think that way and, and get something on terrestrial television. I'm right thinking you were a, like, a keen cricketer in your younger days, right? I loved cricket, yeah. I was, I, was, I was quite good at cricket. So if there was to be, I don't know, if they were to reform, because there's a lot of talk yeah. around reforming what the 100 is and what yeah. the 20 looks like, would you ever be interested in presenting cricket on the BBC? No, no I'm only interested in presenting football now. I, I did golf for a little while. Um, it was it was it was fun for a bit, but it you just when you're presenting golf, it's different with cricket because there are breaks. There are no breaks in golf unless there's something wrong with the weather. So therefore, whenever you're on as the presenter, you are interrupting a live sport, and you become an irritant. And I felt whenever I watched golf that when they cut to whether it be Steve Ryder or something, we're going, oh come on, just show the golf. I mean, at the Masters, you, you're kind of forced to do that because you, you have to take American pictures, and Americans like a lot of breaks. So that we, and and but you become the person, the person watching on telly blames is the presenter because whenever you're not showing live golf, it's you that's stuck in front of the camera for whatever reason. So in the end, I, I kind of didn't enjoy that aspect to it, and I felt like I sat there all day doing not a lot. Um, when I used to, uh, the first. Thing I did it because I'm. I loved. I used to love golf, and I used. To, well, I still love golf, but I don't play it anymore because I'm kind of back and everything else, and, and my head. Um, so um, when I first did it, I did the highlights, um, and that was brilliant. Just at the open, and I used to do a late night show for an hour, which was fun. But in the daytime, it got me the armband, and I could walk on the golf course with all the players. So I'd could. I'd be striding down the fairways with Tiger Woods and and. Darren Clark and my, you know, my mates and stuff. <laughs> Not at the time it was a mate, but Darren Clark was. Um, so um, th that was brilliant. But once I got the main main job, it was like I just sat in a thing with it, reading the occasional scorecard, and it just wasn't very exciting. The I mean the other the, the other sort of um, actually interesting thing for me with the BBC and um, that mix of pay TV and free to air is what's happening with women's football. And obviously they've got that split with the rights with Sky and for the WSL or the Women's World Cup going on at the moment. It, it, that to me seems like something that could be a real, like that's something the BBC could really go into and, and make a bigger bigger thing if it wanted to. Is that like, you're not currently fronting any of that coverage? Is that something that you like, you'd like to do? Or do, you, do you follow the women's No, I don't think so. I'll follow it. But it's, I think, um, I think it's, I think it's best left to, to women really to do to do that there's you know it's, it's going to open up lots of jobs for them um but i do follow it i think it's fantastic for football 
because we've not, you know, you're not got the women's sport doing really well, but that will also attract lots of young girls and people to watching football. And football's my thing. So the more people that are interested in it, the better. And and it's it's and it's you have to say it's improving incredibly quickly. The quality of the football, obviously, they're you know professionals now. Um, you know, it's not that long ago that you know women were banned from playing football in this country. It's absurd. There is still there's still lots of schools in the country where they're, they're Girls are not allowed to play, but that's that's changing, and it's a, it's it's a really great thing. So the next uh, goal hanger podcast is uh, the rest is women's football. I think the rest is football. After the f- football is football, whether the men are play it or women play it. And I said, you know, I'm, I've been calling this. You know, the, we're currently in the middle of a World Cup. You know, do you need? To, do we need to say that it's it's women? Well, we can. You can see that, and it's the same with the men's. You know, sometimes you go, you're talking about. The, the World Cup and then people start complaining and say well why don't you say it's the men's World Cup World Cup's a World Cup it's a football tournament and um, and that's what that's where I stand on that but uh, you know and hopefully uh, hopefully I'm going to win it you put, that'd be pretty special yeah I think that's a pretty nice place to leave it thank you very much my pleasure yeah.